Welcome to our new season of Thursdays with Third Path live podcasts. Every episode, you will meet thought leaders, role models, and change agents connected to the Third Path community. If you're excited about what you hear today, please share our podcast with someone you know and join us again next month. We've got an exciting season exploring why the new ideal employee is someone just like you, someone integrating work and life. We are, um, as I said, starting a new season of uh, Thursdays with Third Path webinars. And you know what better way to get the season launched by inviting some of our very favorite smart, smart people. Um, we have Kira Kavanaugh joining us today. She's the president of 15B and a well-being consultant and trainer. She's also author of Who Works Where and Who Cares. You're gonna hear a little bit more about that today. She's also put these ideas into practice her whole life. And that might come up as well. Uh, she's raised three strapping young men. You'll see their picture in a little bit um, and uh, has really thought about this both with her husband too. So that'll all probably come up today too. Um, you're also gonna be hearing from Bridget Schulte, a long-term friend of mine, award-winning journalist, author of Overwhelmed, which did a great job of putting a spotlight on uh, Third Path, super appreciative of that. And she's a director of the Better Life Lab. And when you get your copy of Overwhelmed, you'll see Bridget's done one of the best jobs of really explaining how, when we try to think about these issues, it's a little bit about what's happening at work and it's a little bit about what's happening at home. And it's also what's happening in our larger society that makes us feel a little bit overwhelmed. So before we get started, I wanted to share a couple of big picture ideas. The first thing I wanted to talk about was the idea that in this book, Out of Office, that came out um, about a year ago in the middle of the pandemic still, um, there were some really important thoughts that were brought to surface in this book. And I really recommend getting a copy of it and reading it, but we'll be talking about it today as well. And in general, the message of Charlie Orzel and Anne Helen Peterson is that we need to repair our relationship to work. Um, there is some major problems in how work is going and how work was before the pandemic even. They raise a lot of issues. I'm just highlighting a few of them on today's uh, webinar. One I thought was really interesting was that, you know, we're seeing um, this problem of, we're experiencing this problem of having too much work to do as a personal problem. But in some ways, it might actually be that they're just not enough people to actually get the work that needs to get done. So we're seen as the problem when actually, really, what might need to happen is we hire more people in our organizations. They also do a really good job of talking about how we think technology is going to fix the problem, but it doesn't. And they give lots of examples of this, one simple one being you know, we thought Slack was going to make us more efficient instead of email, but instead we're just spending less time on email and more time on Slack. And that in order to change these issues, we had to think of them as a collective problem inside of an organization and think smarter about how we use our time. They talk about how if we return to some of the old ways where people work long hours on site, we're also going to be returning to a monoculture where everybody looks the same, especially at the top of the organization. And this is not good for the future of the workplace um, and the future of creativity. 
And that, you know, even before the pandemic and certainly through the pandemic, that we were feeling like we had to do a performance to prove our value at work. Um, sending that late night email just to say, uh, hey, we're still here working. When in really what we should be looking at is how can we work shorter and smarter? So I want to tell you about some of the solutions too. For the last few months, I've been talking to some of the people in the third path community to really think smart about, you know, what, what's really going on right now? What's the possibility for change? And I think what we're seeing is that organizations are falling into three categories. There's those that are just going to go right back to the old ways in the red. And then I'm going to talk some more about these people who are on the fence in the yellow. But I think what's really important to hold on today is that there's a growing group of what we're referring to as in the green progressive workplaces. And these people are going to never go back to the old ways. These are organizations that have embraced hybrid work or fully remote work. There's going to be a growing community of four day work week places and 32 hour work week organizations. And what one of the our community members pointed out when we talked about this, there's going to be a growing number of new businesses who adopt these practices as well. So we're never going back, even though those places might be going back to the old ways, employees are going to have more opportunities to go to a different kind of organization where they can join um, a place that really wants them to support, to have a whole life. And that's, that's really exciting and that's not gonna change. So what I see the work for us to do going forward is to help those organizations in the yellow. And that's what Kira and Bridget are gonna be helping me talk about today. Um, so let's get them on and get that conversation started. So what we're doing today, as you can see, is talking about things that you guys have been working on and thinking about forever. I feel like I've been working on and thinking about forever as well. And my big joke, I guess it's not a good joke, is that it took a pandemic for enough organizations to really wake up and think about how they could do things differently and why it was good for them and good for their organizations. Um, so I'm really glad to have you guys here as experts, long-term experts on this subject. And I wanted to start with the challenges. You know, I thought that in out of office, they did a really good job of kind of raising some of those tough problems that existed forever. Um, you know, the whole idea that we've just got too much work to do and either we need to get better at being able to say no to some things or we need to hire more people to get the work done. Um, and I love this point that technology doesn't fix the problems necessarily. It's a real double-edged sword. Clearly technology helps us, but it also can really be a problem. Um, and so there's lots more we could talk about, but maybe just starting with what your thoughts about this causes of overwork and what organizations are, how organizations are contributing to that. Uh, pick one of those problems that were, you know, maybe I'll start with Kira. You've been at this for a long time. Those, those problems that were raised by out of office, which one really resonates with you? And would you like to jump in to start, to start with? Yeah, I mean, we can look at structurally the, the labor market never recovered from the Great Recession and corporate profitability has been uh, at an all time high for a very, very long time. A number of us were predicting that there would be some sort of labor movement that would emerge from the off kilter aspects of this power dynamic. I think what um, 
what what I have worked at and have been surprised by is how unlikely it is for leaders in an organization who can make changes, structural changes, financial investments, and learn how to lead and manage people differently, how entrenched their current behaviors, viewpoints, attitudes are. And despite so many people out there approaching this from so many different ways, it's proving to be pretty intractable. Now, many times people will joke and say, well, we just need the boomers to retire. We just need the extras to retire. But who has been raising our younger leaders? So we see this evolution of uh, labor employees, managers earlier in their career um, saying, we want to have a voice. We have a different vision. Third path has been at this for uh, a long time as well. There's a different vision. There's a different way to make that work. Unfortunately, it butts up against so many structural societal issues that uh, where I really land, especially after the pandemic, is to focus back on ourselves. Change starts with me, starts with each one of us. And what are some of the ways that we can be focusing our individual efforts um, which again, Jessica, you focused on with so many people for so long. Yeah. yeah, yeah, thank you. And Bridget, I'm going to have you go next. I just want to underscore the point that, you know, it was so interesting to watch in the pandemic. Here was this community of progressive leaders we've been kind of building relationships with for over 20 years, and they were doing things differently, and they're committed to continue to do things differently. And it was their experiences that they had prior to the pandemic that helped them understand, hey, work can be done differently. Family can be done differently. Careers can be done differently that helped them stay centered and clear headed and be able to see the opportunity of what's possible. So I know personal change and individual change is so freaking slow, but it looks like it's also the one that kind of like the tortoise and the hare uh, plodding along keeps on making sustainable long-term change. Bridget, I know we've talked about this for so long. Any thoughts you want to share about where we've already gone or what you were thinking before we got here? Yeah, sure. First of all, thank you so much for having me on. It's always great to have these conversations with you. And you've been such a leader in this and, and Kara, you as well for so long. Um, you know, I do, uh, so many of us have been saying that through the pandemic, we're really at this inflection point or a real pivot point, that so much of what uh, progressive leaders and frankly, so much of what the research had shown before the pandemic, you know, finally, it was sort of like we felt like the veil had been stripped away. You could finally see work really wasn't working for anyone. One of the areas that I really focus on is looking at work stress um, and burnout, you know, which has now become almost like a buzzword. Uh, but long before the pandemic, there, there was just all this wonderful research that has been so underreported. You know, like when I read it, I thought people should be out on the street corners screaming about this, and nobody is. But that before the pandemic, you know, when burnout rates, you know, now they're off the charts. Well, they were off the charts beforehand and, and really in every sector, not just in knowledge and professional class workers, you know, exhaustion, depersonalization, cynicism, just feeling like you don't doesn't matter what you do, working harder and harder and not getting anywhere. It kind of like that constant breathless overwhelm. 
Um, and these re this research shows that the, simply the way that we work, you know, or the way that we did work before the pandemic, uh, you know, long hours, kind of that uh, ideal worker, first in, last out, late night emails, look at me, I'm amazing, I work all the time, so I must be really good, uh, that that was leading to so much uh, stress, so that, you know, psychosocial stress. It's not like you're falling off of a ladder or down a coal mine, that this is really the new public health um, emergency, if you will, that it either causes acute stress in the moment, you know, which can lead to heart attacks and, you know, stroke and something like in the moment, or builds up over time into such chronic stress that then it leads to long-term illness. Or, you know, say if, if you're so stressed out and you work so much, and then over 20 years, you come home and you're so tired that you, you know, you plop on the couch, you turn on the TV, you don't eat healthy food because you're so tired, you don't make it. And, you know, and then over time, then 20 years later, you've got diabetes or cardiovascular disease. So the research was showing that even before the pandemic, simply the way that we worked and the stress that it caused made work itself the fifth leading cause of death in the United States. Now, I had a whole podcast that we called American Karoshi. Karoshi is the Japanese term for working until you die. Uh, and there in Japan, it's a known phenomenon. They track it. You can get reimbursements from the government if you can prove you worked like so many hours over time. And then, well, it's actually you can't because you're dead. So your family can, you know, or labor lawyers, you know, they can go and make this case. So they track it. That's a known phenomenon there. You know, there's efforts to try to change it um, that I'm writing about in my current book. But we don't track it here and we don't think it exists. And it does. And so the pandemic showed that and, you know, turned the dial up to 11. And I think it really is a pivot point. And what we're seeing right now, I have to say, I've described it as mud. It's just, it's unclear. Some people, like you say, there are people who have learned, who are taking this as an opportunity to really rethink not only uh, how we work, but our relationship to work and what it means in really exciting ways you know, shifting the vision, shifting the paradigm, learning the skills to do it, um, you know, and then, and then finding the metrics to measure it, to make it work. Those are sort of like the components I'd be happy to talk about, you know, later, but um, many people are sort of like, like you say, finger to the wind. I don't know what to do. Looking around, not sure. You know, a lot of people are sort of like, okay, hybrid, but then not going through the process to make hybrid really work. And so then it's just like, okay, two days in the office and sort of no plan. And then when it doesn't really feel like it's working, then it's almost like, well, everybody come back in. It's not working anyway, even though they haven't really yeah. gone through the process to make it work. Yeah. So I think that we are still at that inflection point and there's, it's really clear there are bright spots and it's very exciting what's happening in some areas, but I almost would call it bright spots in dark skies because there's a <laughs> lot of warning signs out there as well particularly for women, particularly for caregivers, particularly for people who want to work differently. Yeah, no, thank you. And, and again, I think that's what we're, we, I was surprised to see how muddy things were. <laughs> and uh, yet here we are. And I think, you know, what, what's really been uh, helpful for me to, to frame it is to say, okay, so there's somewhere stuck in the mud, literally. And then to remind people, if you're in one of those organizations that's stuck in the mud, there's other opportunities. And the, the consumer as employee needs to get smarter to find those other workplaces that are doing it differently. And then we as change agents 
and this is the part I want to talk about next, I think it's we as change agents need to help those who are trying to figure it out stay on the journey. Um, and so, you know, some of the things, for example, I've heard, uh, and again, I think um, uh, Out of Office did a great job talking about this is, you know, we need to get smarter about onboarding people, bringing them into these hybrid workplaces, helping them understand how we function well. Uh, we need to build connection in general in a hybrid workplace. Um, we need to get more transparent around workload and how much work we're doing. We used to kind of walk around the office and see who was there. Now we need other methods, smarter methods to help people understand where, what they're working on and is it the right thing? You know, we need to help people. They even talked about in out of office, something we've talked about forever at Third Path that people need quiet, focused work time. They're being constantly interrupted by meetings. I mean, how much of this stuff have we been talking about forever, you know? And so to me, it's like part of what we need to do is just keep on being a resource to help those who are stuck keep on on the journey to get smarter around this. I'll mention two last ones that I heard in the book where, you know, there's a really important ingredient of developing um, more empathetic managers and making work-life integration something and that's an everybody issue, not just a child care issue. And I think those are what we've seen at Third Path is so powerful because when you support someone for whatever reason to live an integrated life, they become a better manager. That personal experience, they bring it with them into their job as manager. Kira, I'm sure you've seen that too. What are your thoughts are about how we can help those people stay on the journey of hybrid? Um, because that really is a potentially really good solution, more flexible solution. You're a little on mute. <laughs> yeah, good question. And I do want to say I'm so glad to be with you. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I would say two things. One, uh, for a very long time, it has been convenient to segment these issues. So it's well-being versus flexibility versus remote work versus... Um, yeah, benefits yeah, versus mental health versus caregivers. So it's it, as long as, as the conversation is pigeonholed to a particular topic, then we can rally around supports and solutions for that particular dimension of the challenge. So the big opportunity is to recognize it's all part of the same issue, which is how work is structured, how people are leading, and the capitalist model and to recognize all of those things can work together. There are solutions forward, but we have to recognize this is a holistic challenge, which is the harder work. We know that's the harder work. The other piece is to recognize that we have generations of leaders now who have not been invested in. So training budgets have also been very, one of those resources that goes away, kind of like Christmas parties during <laughs> recessions, those have also not come back across the board. So we have a whole bunch of professionals at, across every industry who just need to know it's okay to say no, who just need to learn or have an opportunity to learn how to give honest feedback 
how to schedule their calendars, how to be transparent about their workload, how to set a boundary. And so the kinds of self-care ideas of we need to create a yoga room or we need to offer massages underestimates the tremendous impact of workload stress, workplace stress on well-being. And so when we start to recognize all of this is a system, there are many levers that we can be working on pulling at various points, but we've got to see this as an opportunity that it's totally possible. And it's actually, there are some very simple things that people can be doing, but I think a lot of folks are waiting for permission. Is it okay? Is it okay for me to say no? Is it okay for me to just tell my team they don't have to answer emails in the evenings, you know? And people are all waiting for where's the permission? And there isn't anyone who's going to give us permission. So that's the opportunity. Ooh, I can set a boundary. Ooh, I can practice. <gasps> it went okay. I didn't lose my job. Yes, let's do it again. So that's where the exciting places are for me now, as I see and work with people who are really starting to find their power again and bring that as role models into the workplace. Yeah. And it's something we've used a phrase forever, Kira. It's this concept of pockets of change. And mm -hmm. so you can be that team leader who really sets a different uh, um boundary setting and assumptions and how to work together well that pays attention to their collective good. Uh, you can be that team leader um, that really does a different job. Bridget, any last couple of thoughts? I do want to uh, take us to the next direction of where we're going to go in a second. Well, you know, just to kind of, uh, you both have sort of mentioned this, and I would love to just kind of dive in on this point that for so long in our workplaces, it's it's really been a focus on the individual. If you're overworked, it's your problem. If you're overwhelmed, take a bath, you know, or, you know, uh, if you feel like you can't get your work done, go to our yoga room, go to our meditation room. So very, you know, individual solutions, but in the wrong way, trying to solve these systemic problems with these kind of individual, frankly, blame the worker kind of solutions. And I do feel like really for the first time, there is, there are conversations at higher levels that really understand that you cannot have individual solutions or expect individual solutions to systemic problems. And as burnout has become much more of a common uh, topic that we're talking, you know, that, that people are talking about, we're writing about more. There's a lot in the public, in the, in the uh, popular press that's great, a lot that's garbage, but we're talking about it more and recognizing that it's not, you know, there are certainly internal drivers uh, but it's mainly external. It's a response to a workload that is just too much for one person to manage. And, you know, and when you look at the people who've studied re work redesign for years, it's like they've known that there are three things that you can do. You can reduce demands, you can increase control, and you can increase support. And increasing support or like the yoga rooms is sort of like a bad example of that. But there are good examples of like, as Kira was saying, manager training. Managers are super burned out. And the key to any positive change is not necessarily, I mean, you need the buy-in from the leadership, but it's those managers, those middle managers that make it happen on a day-to-day -day basis. And they need support and they need training. And we need to understand that they're not always the bad guys. They just might not have the information they need. And so I think there's finally the beginnings of a conversation to move beyond increasing support, which is important, 
and really talking about how do you increase control, giving people more flexibility, autonomy, trust, you know, flexibility in how they work and where they work and when they work. That's finally starting to happen in many places. But I think the, the thing we still are really not addressing is reducing demands because that it's hard. And then you're talking about, oh my God, I have to hire more people. Well, how that's going to, how's that going to affect my bottom line? What do you mean we can't have this, you know, Monday morning at 9 a.m. meeting that 500 people go through that we've always had that nothing ever gets done and everybody's checking their emails, but we always do it, you know? So it requires the, reducing those demands is the harder part of it. But I do feel like we're finally beginning to have those conversations and that's where it's really going to make a difference. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's this truth that the pandemic helped us uh, figure out that we can do work in a different place. But the continued problem is how much work we do, not necessarily where and when we do the work. It's still the problem of how much work we do. And what I'm hearing you say, Bridget, is hopefully that conversation is coming to the front. Certainly, you know, when we'll have Alex Pang on again, you know, there's organizations that are learning how to work in four days. And as Alex Peng said, hey, if you can tell your competitors, I can get the same quality product done in four days that your competitors are doing in five or six, who's the better deal? Who's a smarter employee? Um, so I think that is where we're trying to get to is this concept of too much work. Um, and, 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 I, and I wanted to talk about, it is systemic, uh, it is challenging, a key to change is helping support people over their careers become more empathetic managers because they've practiced this in their own lives. And interestingly, the way that out of office closes is with a, a, let, a letter to the individual. And it says, hey guys, this is big change. This is slow change, this change you shouldn't wait around for because what you should do is go ahead and think about what do you want from life outside of work? Because they saw this in their own lives, their commitment, the author's commitment to their lives outside of work helped them start approaching their work differently. And I know both of you know, this has been third pass message for 23 years. We've said to people, hey, the place to begin is to get clear about what you want and then to really start figuring out how to make that change happen. You've both been at this for a while. And again, we want bigger change than just individual change. But can you see how a change you made a long time ago, a commitment you made to your life outside of work has led you to a better place today? Because I think that's something people don't always know is that there is a journey and small steps we might made a long time ago probably have paid out in big ways today. Kira, any quick insight about um, kind of a, where this journey has taken you that's a better place? And then Bridget, I'll ask you the same question. And then I, then I have an, a special guest who will talk some about this too. Wonderful. Bridget, I don't know about you, but I just start laughing at this question because I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, which of the 25 choices that I've made in my life, right, have led me to a much happier place. And I wonder if you feel the same. Uh, to me, the one that pops up most obviously is me selling my business in 2018. I thought success was, you know, reaching a certain sales target and having a big team of people and traveling all over the country all the time. And my husband at one point 
said, I see the quality of your life diminishing. Hmm. And I burned myself out. And it was very clear that what I thought I was working toward was not bringing me any sort of internal happiness at all. And that was five years ago. And five months ago, moved to Asheville, North Carolina, and I'm in a completely different space. So unless I had had the, if I hadn't had the courage to make that big choice to sell the business that I had started myself and prioritize my own happiness, I don't know what would have happened. I know I was a pretty burned out human. I look at pictures from those days and I feel sad for who I was then and how I felt. So sometimes it takes big, bold change and not being able to see the outcome immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And Bridget, I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot because I know this is, you know, I, I, I want to just say before you even hear from Bridget, even with 23 years of experience, the last three weeks have been really difficult for me as I've tried to balance work and family. And so I don't, I don't want our listeners to think that it's um, an easy journey either. There are going to be times as we, as we reach for integration um, that are uh, still challenging. But, you know, I think for me watching watching, for example, my husband uh, be so committed to work-life integration because he's watched me uh, be committed to work-life integration, watching my kids um, in their early uh, early 30s, late 20s be committed to work-life integration. I mean, think about the, the power of those kinds of changes. Even when I've had bad weeks, I can see uh, that I'm there's this ripple effect of some of the choices I've made. Bridget, any thoughts come to your mind before we go on to our special guest that's coming up next? Yeah, no, there's so many, um, like, like you're saying, Kira, and, and, and very much as, you, as you're saying, Jessica, it's, it's a journey. And you know, you've been on the journey for, for much of the way with me. Um, a couple things that I'll say is, um, you know, there's certainly skills that I've learned at work by making a lot of mistakes and winding up in the cardiologist's office thinking I was having a heart attack and completely burned out. And that wasn't all that long ago. So, I mean, I'm, I, I yeah, I have good days, good, bad, bad days. And it's sort of like, it's a, it's a constant struggle. Um, I guess what's different is that I just feel like if I have a bad day, I have an opportunity to, to do something different the next day. I don't feel that sense of powerlessness or, or that kind of like, fatalism, like, oh, it's just going to be terrible all the time. I don't have that. So I have a, a better sense of hope. Um, I, you know, and I think a, a big difference, you know, uh, and, and I wrote about that in the book is really learning how to recalibrate sort of the unpaid labor at home that I just thought because I was a woman, I should just do, or I was better at, or we both just kind of like assumed these kind of traditional gender roles without even thinking about it. And it's not, it's still not perfect, but we have created a uh, sort of a, a practice of bringing things out into the open of talking about things more. And just even last week, it was such a, it was such a win for me. My husband did that classic, you know, we really should get the chimney cleaned out, you know, and from, you know, we've been married 30 years. And what that typically means is you should get this done. And I looked at it and it was so great because it's like, I, you know, kind of took that moment. It was like, I got triggered and I paused and like, that really pisses me off. And I said, you know, I'm dealing with a boiler. You deal with that because it's like, this is our shared house. This is our shared family. We, we share these, we share all this kind of icky work that takes time. 
And so, yeah, so that's a journey. It sounds like such a small thing, but that felt so awesome. <laughs> and then I didn't do it. And I don't really care if he does it or not. It's not on, it's not my, it's not on my list. I don't have to collie dog him. If it gets done fine, if it doesn't, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. That's exactly where I was hoping we would go because uh, uh, I'm going to put up a, a couple of slides about our next guest. And you'll see that she's bringing to light all that we're talking about. Um, you're going to enjoy hearing from her. So let's put up a couple more slides. Okay. So again, just a reminder that you guys are going to get a chance to put your name in a raffle for the books today. Um, your name, your email address, your mailing address, because one of the books um, I have some information out about on this slide. You know, uh, many, many, many years ago, Kira wrote this book. Um, and she describes six tools that managers can use to be smarter about helping their teams do just what we're talking about, become that pocket of change, where you can really help your team think smarter about how to do performance where you're, you know, setting objectives that are reasonable. Um, she's got a lot of good information about how we can create more of a capacity management approach so we can have more time for resilience. Um, she has this whole point in the book about how when we do this, we can actually improve work processes um, and lots and lots of suggestions around team building. So some of those issues that out of office raise that are problems, there's lots of good solutions in this book about how we can do it. And I'm gonna actually have our next guest and that I'll show you her slide is Rashi Shyam. She's actually the Director of Digital Transformation at the Partnership Inc. And she's the parent of two high school age children. And I am pleased to say a previous Third Path employee. Uh, we certainly miss her. Um, and just, you know, now we'll hear a little bit from Rashi. Hi, I miss you guys too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being there, Rashi. No problem. Um, it, I wanted you in particular to join us today because you're such a great example of someone who has been through many chapters in your life and you're at a new chapter where you've kind of put these ideas into practice of how work can be done differently and how family can be done differently and how all of that joins together to be a very different place. Can you tell us a little bit about the story you've been and for those of you who are listening in today, this whole concept about how family can be done differently and how that's part of becoming the new ideal employee, we're gonna be looking at that in a big way on our next uh, Thursday with Third Path uh, live podcast. So Rashi, tell us a little bit about your journey. So um, I worked on Wall Street for quite a few years and no one around me really had children. Um, and I knew that I wanted children and I was working really long hours. So, you know, eventually I stopped doing that. Um, I started working part-time, but part-time is never really part-time. Just like you guys were talking about, you're always on your computer, you're always on your phone. There was no phones back then actually. So you're always on your laptop all the time. Um, so it's just not the lifestyle that I wanted when I had kids. Um, so I actually moved to be near my parents so that they could help also. But I started my own business as well for flexible work. Um, so that, you know, worked for a little bit, but then I, you know, I, I needed some more steady income as well. So I started working part-time and one of the part-time jobs I had with Jessica, um, you know, and when I first started doing this, I didn't realize there was a whole community of people 
that worked this way or thought this way. And I was so happy to find that. Um, it's hard to be in this journey alone. So I feel when you find a community, either, you know, personal community or at work who thinks the same way and is, you know, dedicated to work-life integration, it makes things a lot easier. Um, so it was so nice to meet Jessica. It was so nice to be a part of Third Path in this community. And I still, you know, look to Third Path to espouse these ideas and make sure that I'm still following them. Um, in 2020, with the pandemic, my husband was also, he had his own business, he's a consultant and he traveled. So obviously in 2020, he had to stop traveling. Um, so that had a big effect on our income because he couldn't travel anymore and he couldn't um, work anymore. So then it was time for me to get a full-time job because we needed health insurance um, for the kids. So I started looking for a full-time job and um, you know, I found something, you know, through a friend who said, hey, there's this, you know, organization, they're de dedicated to diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, which they really are, um, which, you know, some places say they are, but they're not, but this place is very dedicated to diversity, equity, and inclusion, which I was very happy about. But then, you know, just coming from third path, you wonder is, does inclusion really mean an inclusive lifestyle for moms, for flexible work, for remote work? Um, so I was a little bit scared, you know, when I first came on, but they are a very good model of what you guys were talking about of work norms, you know, saying you're a remote employee, but um, they're fine with me being a remote employee. I don't have to go to Boston very often, you know, every once in a while I have to go to Boston, um, but they're very comfortable with me working from home. Um, and they're also very comfortable with being me being a mom, blocking off my calendar when I need to, to go to a soccer game. So that's really nice. I still get to go to a lot of soccer games. Um, and they're also, you know, they're very understanding of, you know, medical issues or, you know, when anything comes up where I have to be, you know, flexible. So it's been a good experience. Um, and they did develop a lot of norms around, you know, what time we have meetings, you know, daily meetings to keep in. It was daily. They switched it to twice a week now that the team knows each other better, but you know, when a new team member comes on board to orient them to how we're all, we're all working remotely right now. And they could go back into the office at Boston because most of them do live there, but they choose not to. Yeah, yeah. And so you you took all that kind of knowledge you learned around how work could yes. be done differently. And, and it sounds like found another organization that can really support that approach. And that's one of the messages today is that, you know, yes, you're hearing from experts that so many organizations are still suck, stuck, but we can also as individuals, you know, do that work to find organizations that are more supportive. Um, and it's been so fun to see Rashi succeed in this new place of work um, and probably be a real role model around how you can think differently around uh, how to approach your work but Rashi, there, I was curious when I asked you to come today, you know, you have also had some shifts at home. Do you mm -hmm. mind talking a little bit about what that's been like? Because I, that's been a journey too. Oh yeah. My husband wasn't home. You know, he was always traveling. So he never did anything for the kids since they were little, I was doing everything. Um, and then my mom would help me, but then she passed away. So then it was, everything was on me. So when he came home, he didn't really realize that he had to help or do anything. I wouldn't, I don't even like calling it help, like that he had a part in this whole thing. Um, so he's had to learn a lot of that. Um, and like a lot of it, I started at third path and he started at third path, but now I don't have to ask him for help. 
like he just steps up to the plate like you know he knows I'm working so like he's like okay it's time to make dinner like let me chop vegetables I mean he still can't cook but you know let me be the sous chef or whatever um and he didn't help much with the kids at all but now he's like okay there's two soccer games you'll go to this one I'll go to this one um and also taking off the mental load of you know I have two girls so sometimes they don't go to their dad for things um but there's definitely places that he stepped in and said you know you have a problem let me try to help you let me try to coach you through it which he didn't do when they were younger but now he's like that's been such a great help actually because I can't like deal with all of their issues so just for him to coach them help them listen to them cry and be like supportive through that is so like it's been so helpful for me yeah and I I don't want to put words in your mouth but I know the journey that my husband Jeff was through around these issues means that he's had a bigger better life because of that Mm -hmm. and that it really is about uh Yes, there's some work to maybe shift roles at home, but so rewarding for everybody, uh, Rowett included, I'm guessing. Yes, it's been, you know, I think he's really realized like the importance of a dad in a girl's life. So that has been so great to see, you know, he's always like, oh, you take them shopping. And he just thought that's what we did together was go shopping. I'm like, there's a lot more than that. <laughs> there sure is, especially yeah. teenagers. Yes. <laughs> teenage girls. Yes, I yes. know. <laughs> but, you know, think about it. All right. Here we've all told our stories. And I wanted to make one more point, you know, because this is the year where we're talking about, we really believe the new ideal employee is someone who brings work-life integration skills. But what happens if it's just women who are doing this integrated approach? Then that means that they're the ones who, yes, they're doing an excellent job, but they're the ones who are accommodating a sick day, accommodating a snow day, accommodating the soccer game. And the other person in the family system is looking like a regular ideal employee and reporting you know, longer hours and not interrupting their work. And so what we really are trying to say here is that change has to happen both at work and at home if we're going to make this new ideal employee concept really stick. We need all people to be able to be involved with life responsibilities. And what you're hearing from me, from Rashi, is that when men are actively involved with care work, their lives are richer too. And then what happens is we create a society where it's normalized. All employees, no matter their gender, um, have other responsibilities outside of work. And it becomes normalized that we create workplaces where people have time for their lives, whatever those responsibilities are. And so, yes, we're talking about workplace change. Yes, we're talking about organizations being stuck. But I hope what you're hearing as listeners today is that you can make change. You can make change by approaching work differently for yourself. You can make change by approaching work differently as a team leader. And you can make change because you have a different kind of conversation at home so that all genders look like they have responsibilities that they want to be involved with. Bridget, you've, you've been on this journey in particular with me around the conversations at home, looking at it as a whole system, um, trying to really imagine a different world 
any any extra thoughts you have about kind of where we can go with this what some next steps people can make around these these issues and then i'll ask Kira after that well you know if i could i would love to just um you know because i think it's still so it's so important um one of the things that we've done at the better life lab is really focus on that question about men yeah and men and their roles and their expectations around care and caregiving and I think it's really important. We did a um, nationally representative uh, quantitative um, survey. We did qualitative reporting. All of that can be found on our Better Life Lab website. But I think the key takeaway for me, it, there was overwhelming desire on the part of men to not only be involved and do care, but to share it equally. And where there was a disconnect is that so many men felt that they couldn't. They, you know, uh, they, they felt unsupported at work. They also felt unsupported in their family and communities, you know, sort of like even those little, those little comments like, well, don't you have a wife for that? Or like, well, why are you taking paid leave? Or, you know, um, it, you know, must be nice leaving early to go to the, your son's soccer game or whatever that, you know, men sort of felt it was okay to do occasionally, you know, be uh, uh, talking about their, um, their involvement, but if it was regular, you know, uh, regular leaving at a certain time to go do a childcare pickup, there was real worry that they would be punished for it. Now, what we've noticed during the pandemic is some of that has shifted and that you are seeing the surveys like Slack's Future Forum and others sort of uh, that have been collecting data, you're seeing some of the that sort of yearning coming out of the closet, so to speak. And so you are seeing, you know, there's still a difference. There's still more women who, who say they want to work in a hybrid or flexible manner. But man, men are right up there. You know, fathers are right up there. Um, men are changing. Men are leaving. I've, I've been, I've written some pieces for Slate and, and, um, and other publications where men are voting with their feet as well. And they are also saying that flexibility is important to them. They will leave an organization if they don't get it. And so I think what we're beginning to see is the destigmatization, am I saying that right, of sort of flexible work, that it's no longer, you know, the automatic sidelining to the mommy track. And I think that's where we all need to be leaning into, you know, think about, you know, on the individual level, how are you responding to, to people that, you know, neighbors or friends or family where men want to take a more active role? You know, are you being part of that chorus that would sort of, um, you know, make them feel that that's odd? Or are you being part of this more, this wave of like understanding that, uh, that the real future that we really want is a more human future where we all have opportunity for meaningful work, for that care and connection at home. And yes, time for play for all of us, you know, uh, and that, that it doesn't have to be as gendered as it has been. And so, that's sort of, I guess, what I would say is lean into that. Think about in your own life how you're showing up for other people. Because, uh, you know, what our research showed is that support, those even those little comments, they can really go a long way to either, you know, uh, you know, be a barrier or be part of like a like the floodgates opening and, and really helping men act on what they feel is uh, is something they clearly want to do. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you. And yes, you have been writing some great pieces about this. It, it is there is a huge opportunity there. And you can see it in Rashi's real life story that this is this is what we can do right now in our in our lives. Kira, is there something you want to add, you know, kind of where we're going, what's possible 
Hope you are on mute again. I'm so glad to um, to think about the I'll make up a word degenderization. There we go <laughs> of these issues. It's so valuable. Thanks for sharing that insight, Bridget. For me, the the folks that I'm coaching on these issues, it still comes back to. But isn't it selfish? Can I really ask? Is it really okay for me to say this is what I need? I feel like I'm being too emotional and being judged for it. You know, these gender stereotypes, these gender norms, all of the information we get from the world around us that we process as what is our value? Is it okay? Do I have permission? Am I safe if I express these things? We're still working on it, right? And so to remember to to really get in touch with what is your body telling you about what you need? What are the sensations in your body telling you when someone says something or, or, you know, gives you that dig or you're taking on the same, you know, grocery shopping trip the third week in a row. What is your body telling you about that? What are the emotions that are attached to that? Learning to name those emotions, go out there and look for emotions lists, emotion wheel, on the internet, learn how to identify those feelings, then learn how to express those. It is okay to be an emotional human, getting in touch, learning how to express and get that out, and then making the connection to what do I need? What does that mean that I need? And how do I learn to identify and convert that into action? I need some peace and quiet tonight. What is the action I need to request from my partner, from my manager, from my coworker, from my client? And then remembering two feet on the ground, I have a right to peace and happiness and equity and all the other stuff we're all working so hard to achieve. So I think recognizing that self-talk and remembering that each one of us has value be able to live out this beautiful life that you've been putting that beacon you've been putting out there for us for 23 years, Jessica. Sometimes it just comes back to feeling like I am justified. I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the crazy thing is, um, and I'm going to put up uh, th three last slides uh, as, as, as I say this crazy thing, and then I'm going to give uh, uh, um, Bridget the next to last thought and then Kira the very last thought. Um, so as I talk about these, you know, just a reminder, we have this raffle, three amazing books uh, for each of these different books are available for you. Put your name, email address, mailing address into the chat box, and we'd love to get you a copy of these amazing books by these amazing, brilliant women who are, you're hearing from today. But the, the crazy thought is how much um, we can make our workplaces better when we actually get in touch with what we want too. It's not a win-lose situation. I just keep on uh, learning over and over again. Uh, there are really creative answers where we can do a great job around um, you know, work and our lives. And we just have to get smart about both of them. And there really is opportunities. I wanna just close out by showing two last slides. You know, yes. We're doing this every month and you can join us. Um, we're, we're here doing this live podcast once a month. And then um, in December, we actually have a town hall style po podcast that you can join and uh, ask your questions to the experts. 
You can join our trailblazing community and get the conversation going there. And following us on social media will also be a great way to keep on hearing more about these conversations. And now just a reminder about last but not least, that we are a nonprofit. And, you know, our mission has been to really grow this community of role models and change agents. Um, and as you can see, this kind of community is making a difference for people uh, to be able to put these ideas into actions. And uh, our donors are the ones who really help us support these free services like our Thursday webinar. So last but not least, I wanna put us all back on screen. And I wanna give a real big thanks for Rashi for joining today. It always helps to go from the you know, theoretical, here's what needs to happen to the practical, here's what's uh, really happening in someone's lives. So Rashi, I just wanna say thank you for being here today. And Bridget, if you had one last idea, a wish for our audience today, I'd love to hear it. And then from you, Kira, the same thing, one last wish for our audience. Thank you both for being here today and for doing the work you've been doing so well for so long. Bridget, one last thought. Okay, I'll be really brief because when I heard this, it really struck me. I was talking to um, a, 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 an investor with private equity and he is committed to investing in uh, companies that will only create good life-sustaining jobs. And if you do that, then you also create time for good whole lives. And I asked him, sort of going back to your original point, Kara, like, well, you know, there's all this research that shows that if you do that, the business is better. Your people are happier, they're healthier, their well-being is better, they have time for their lives, and they're more productive, and morale and engagement goes up, and people's bottom line goes up. And there's all this research that people seem to like goes in one ear and out the other, and not even in one ear. Like, you know, what will it take? So asking somebody very directly in business, and you know what he said is that, he said belief. So beyond the data, beyond all of the research that we can do, which is important to kind of help shift the narrative, I guess I would, you know, it kind of goes back to that uh, really fundamental sense of believe that it's possible and keep having hope. Yeah, yeah, yes, absolutely. And it's amazing how when you keep, when you do it in your own life, it just helps strengthen your belief in it too, um, even in the hard times, even in the hard times. Kira, the last word with you. Yeah, I just want to thank everybody for being here and having such a rich dialogue. Thank you for the invitation and for setting this up. I think we have way more runway than we might think at the time. You can have these conversations with your leader. It doesn't mean that your leader is going to say yes. But it means that you will have stood in your integrity and said what it was that you needed. And with that information, you can make more informed choices about your life. The people in your life that you're living with want you to be happy. And so there's room for these kinds of conversations, even when we don't think there are, even when it hasn't gone very well, even when you were crying in the middle of them, right? It all sort of fell apart. There's plenty of opportunity there. We just have to step into that courage and experiment, try low risk situations first. And then we just get our sea legs and we do it more and more. And the more we do it, the more you just think, really? Can't everybody build a life like this? But we've just got to get started and trust a little bit, just even a little, little bit more 
try one brave conversation and then see what happens. Wow, wonderful. Thanks for that message. And if you're excited about learning about brave conversations at home, tune in next month because work has to change, but we also have to think differently at home. And so we're going to follow this up with a really great uh, group of experts next month on looking at how change can happen at home too. Thank you, everybody. Super pleased to have you here. Really wonderful.